So if you even have two or three people who are really smart that you respect and can help you navigate what you're thinking, that's going you're going to be so much better off than the executive that just got surprised. They they take a moment and then they immediately go to their desk and spray and pray. They send out their, you know, the 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 resumes, they don't get responded to. There's so many applicants now. There's a better way. And the best way to navigate the hidden job market or the the jobs that are just getting whispered and discussed, it's just that they haven't gone to market yet, is by talking to these other people that can be advising you and possibly even introducing you to other smart people. The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. Well, hello, 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 hello. I am in awe, in awe that our guest today is here to talk about the topic that people love to hate and also love to love on because anybody who signs up for a career transition is doing it for a, a bigger reason, right? They're, 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 even if they didn't sign up for it, there's a lot of hope in that because every time you go into transition, it's from what to what. You're going to be where you were into where you're going. And I think that that's really exciting. Gina Riley is not only an incredible career coach who focuses in on uh, career transitions for executives. She also, similar to me, deals with the end-to-end process. So she doesn't just bite off a tiny, tiny little piece. The executives that she works with are with her for a considerable period of time because this is not like, you know, a drive-by, right? This isn't something that just happens and you show up at the, at, at the takeout window and say, okay, I want a career transition and, you know, one and done. This isn't Burger King, have it your way. So Gina works with her executives for a year. Um, and also the reason why we're talking about this today is in realistic expectation that people are starting to think about 2024 and they're starting to think about, okay, you know, maybe I'm going to get my year in bonus or maybe I won't. And what am I going to do with it? Am I going to pocket it or am I going to use that as part of my exit strategy? Am I going to, you know, be in a position where I'm going to go all in after the holiday or am I going to kickstart it off now? Gina Riley, thank you so much for being such a wonderful LinkedIn compadre. And thank you also for being such an amazing colleague 
in the throes and the trenches of career transition. Thanks for having me. And I feel the same about you. Our coaching community is just so incredible where we can lean on each other and share information and better serve our, our populations who come our way and find us, you know, for our own uniqueness. So thanks. We need each other because it, it, it takes a village and, and we need each other because one of the things that I both love and am consistently humbled by in our industry is that the landscape is always changing and it almost feels like you can't catch your breath. And so one of the questions that I wanted to offer up as a starting point is really to ask you, you know, that we, as we see more people who are embracing career transition, especially right now, without having your cape or anything like that, what advice, and I'm going to caveat this by saying new advice, do we all need to take into consideration for 2024 if career transition is, is on your radar? The new advice I think is around AI and how AI can help accelerate our process. Um, that is where I am finding some of my clients finding some traction using that to their benefit. Not so much on the applying landscape, because I think at the executive level, if you do spray and pray, it doesn't show up very well for, for you. And I'm going to give a very express example. This week, I got an email from a company that just shoots out emails for executives that are paying about $125 or $200 a month. So I got this cold email with the person's you know, portfolio, if you will. I'm not recruiting right now. I do, I'm affiliated with an executive search company, but I just got it out of the blue in my consulting website, in my consulting email. And with no context whatsoever. So that's one example of how maybe not AI, but companies are using these blasts for emails that are not serving at the executive level. It really shows just like a mismatch on what they're trying to do and accomplish with who's reading them and who's who's opening those emails and actually calling a person on that. I don't know. Where AI is helping is with thought leadership incredible. So I have some people who have finally, and we're talking like executives in their fifties that are humble and they have not wanted to put their bright light out there um, because they're concerned about what people will think. They're using AI to help come up and construct LinkedIn posts and to, to make it their own. And, and they're starting to see traction and they're getting people, you know, contacting them now because you know, they're actually visible. I talk about this as well, right? The, the push and pull between, I have all this experience, but yet I don't have anything to say. And so it's like, wait, wait, that, that doesn't work both ways. And so, you know, I'm not surprised. I mean, AI, I, it almost feels like it's so 1980s, but it's not because everybody's been talking about it so much. And what I also wanted to ask you with respect to AI, yes, I like the way that you also framed it. It's working on both ends or not working on, on one end, 
at the different times. Mm-hmm. Aside from thought leadership, what is what is at either risk or what is the expectation around how integrated executives need to be with respect to understanding implications within their industry, within that future organization, as a leader, and how are they going to be able to maintain their level of relevance because there's a new bar? There is a new bar. And especially those that are in the latter parts of their career, many of the people that you and I serve, they are stuck in a mentality. Many are stuck in that mentality that I don't need to get my thought leadership out there. Um, There's all kinds of fear around it. There's two sides to this coin. One is you can step out into the light and become known for your expertise and put a stake in the ground so that you're attracting not only opportunities, but you're attracting conversations around you and you're seen as the voice of your industry or your functional area of expertise, along with the smattering of some personal things that aren't so personal that it, it, it becomes a detriment. The flip side is the person that hides and is thinking, I'm not going to need this. And, and I think that the the real gain here is for the leader to step out and bring their people along behind them is to step out and, and be that figurehead that everyone is excited about, that it elevates the employer brand and gets people t- excited about coming to work at your company. So I, I think that the people that are hiding and not getting it out there are harming themselves. And it takes a while to get traction. To be known for something in a thought leadership capacity, most people will say it's taking about 18 months to two years. I mean, I've interviewed mm-hmm. on storytelling. I, t- um, I did an article with uh, Lee Carraher, um recently, and she, ha- she actually had a podcast uh, entitled, If You Call Yourself a Thought Leader, You're Probably Not a Thought Leader. And, and, and we go through all of these steps on how you can become known as a thought leader without just arriving on LinkedIn and saying, I'm a thought leader and putting it in your headline. Yeah, I, I agree with it. There's a lot of placeholders that mean other things. And I often get really irritated because it's like, everybody's, you know, everybody's this and everybody's that. Everybody's an influencer. Maybe I'm a micro influencer. Maybe I'm a this. I think that I need to reframe that question because where I'm going with this is really more about how, aside from what you're actually writing, how do you, in interviews, in networking conversations, how do you telegraph for your Mm -hmm. audience, hey, guess what? I'm relevant and I'm not throwing out buzzwords with respect to AI since AI is going to be such a, it's, 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 it's like an open, it's an open expectation, right? It, it basically is saying like, you don't know this. How are you mm-hmm. going to stay? How are you going to stay in consideration with with are the needs of the business forget about the competition but how 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 are we supposed to in career transition as we are approaching this what might we be doing what should we mm-hmm. be thinking how is it that we might be approaching 
even just an upskilling standpoint? I love this question so much. I just took a strategy call today where where I was speaking about this with a gentleman who's coming from founding two companies and he's ready to move into corporate. And he said, he's he's kind of from the marketing side functionally. And he said, I want to talk to high tech companies that are in the AI space and figure out how my skills will transfer in to help them translate the benefits of AI to people like me who are founders, because there's founders like him who aren't maybe maximizing, right? The AI capabilities. And we don't even know. I mean, we're at the front end of all of this. So back to your question, it behooves leaders who haven't stepped into this domain, aren't even using chat GPT yet. You've got to go play with some of the tools to get to know them. And then you need to do research and figure out how how similar types of companies are leveraging AI in their businesses, what gains they're seeing, what pitfalls there are. Those are the stories that then you can back into and weave into the networking calls and the interview stories. I would say that, you know, for an executive who's going through an interview process, the bulk of what you're talking about isn't going to be around AI. It will be one component. However, if you can show up and confidently discuss the things that you've learned so far, even if you're, you haven't gotten a chance to lead with AI, that's going to serve you far better than the, the person that did not prepare at all. Right. So please do not, I'm going to speak for you and with you, hopefully, Gina, please do not pretend that it doesn't exist, right? <laughs> don't, don't be in AI avoidance mode because that actually is, I think, a little bit of a, of a real warning sign that you're, you're not in touch with the priorities and the criteria of, of what is happening from this point on. So I want to ask you something aside from this, like AI piece and just, you know, using that as the seminal area where we really need to be considering for 2024 and career transition. I'm going to get like a little touchy feely, but I, I still, I defer to you on this because I think that you have such an amazing grasp on both the strategic and also the psychological. Why is executive career transition, what makes it so hard? I mean, so hard that people end up staying in their, let's just call it shitty, toxic, low paying, ill opportune positions. Why do they stay in those when they know that it's a bleeding sore and avoid career transition? What makes it so hard that they are so invested in sheltering? Fear. That would be the, I mean, I think the starting point, it's based in comfort and fear at the same time. I know what I know about this job and I don't know what's going to happen with the unknown, right? And if we look at classic career transition management, and I use the William Bridges material, um, managing change and transition, you have to acknowledge that there's an ending coming or happening. And sometimes it happens to us, we get laid off and it's a surprise and we haven't planned for it. But then there, ha I call it the trough of despair. There's this upside down, like 
bell curve that happens. And when, when our employees are going through change, when we are going through personal change, we have to experience it, some faster, some slower, but we have to go through this acknowledgement of the yucky stuff that is cloudy and murky and we don't have the answers and willing to like trudge through it so that we can come out into a new beginning, so that we can see what is on the landscape and then put ourselves out there with our stories. But when people first, what I think is so hard is most people get shocked by needing to make a transition and then they jump to, I need to get a resume. Of course they need a resume, of course they do. But if you start with the resume, you haven't done the hard work to get the underpinnings of all the stories that inform the resume. That is hard work. So it goes back to, in my opinion, fear and and that concern about how much effort it's going to take to make a change. You and I are so aligned in this area because I always um, get the cold sweats when somebody is like, like immediately jumps to, well, I'm just going to update my resume. I'm just going to just going to update it. And I'm thinking to myself, with what? What are you just going to like update it with more chronological information and keywords? Like they're going to pay four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars for you. Surely they're going to want something more than a piece of paper. And that's not to diss on resumes; it's a necessary evil. It's just it's just a hard cold fact that that is not what they are. There's a lot more <laughs> that that goes into your candidacy than than just that quote unquote CV, right? Not mm -hmm. at all. 100%. So what you said, you know, there's fear, there's resistance, there is all this trepidation around this. So, okay, now that we know that, how do you actually build the resiliency muscles? How do you and how might you even need to do it? differently what what new muscles right i actually went to work out today after i was sick for two weeks and i have new muscles and they hurt and so what things do we need to do to prepare ourselves as we approach this new year what do we potentially need to know to either get our mindset around how to build resistance, and then how to maintain that resilience. Isn't that the million dollar question? I, That's I why I had you on. <laughs> um, I am going to start with the fact that we don't go through this life alone. We don't go through this life, a well-lived life without support. And so my first piece of advice is to look at, at gathering you know, maybe a board of directors, people with different functional areas of expertise that could help inform your career navigation and transition process. So if you're a senior leader who might be uh, have a deep expertise in HR, maybe you go and you find people in your network who already know, like, and trust you, um, that you've built some kind of relationship doesn't have to be deep and ask them for ask them up front I'm looking to make a change 
and I'm, I'm gathering a few smart people in my network that I can touch base with once a month. Um, would you be willing to be a sounding board for me? I'm not looking for a job. I'm looking for advice and advisement. Or it could be men a mentoring relationship. You know, you could go either way with that. So if you even have two or three people who are really smart that you respect and can help you navigate what you're thinking, that's gonna, you're going to be so much better off than the executive that just got surprised. They, they take a moment and then they immediately go to their desk and spray and pray. They send out their, you know, the, 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 the resumes, they don't get responded to. There's so many applicants now. There's a better way. And the best way to navigate the hidden job market or the, the jobs that are just getting whispered and discussed, it's just that they haven't gone to market yet, is by talking to these other people that can be advising you and possibly even introducing you to other smart people. I know there's a lot of contention around does the hidden job market really exist? I have people that still like, you know, are giving me the stink eye and, you know, <laughs> ripping me a new one because they're like, you're just trying to take my money and there is no hidden job market. I'm like, okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I, you know, I have seen the back and forth on this. I have seen people get upset about it. And one of the things that causes people to get upset is they think that it is about making biased hiring decisions. And, and that is typically mm. not the underpinning or the intention behind the concept of the hidden job market. The hidden job market is specifically when the leadership team is sitting there and somebody says, I'm going to retire in February after I get my bonus, or I'm going to go out and have a baby. I'm going to be out for six months. We need someone to step in and fill my role as an interim. It could be, or, oh, we're going to let this person go, but we can't tell our investors this is happening because we're going to draw sure. bad attention to our company. The hidden job market is when they're just, these things are percolating. And if you are a smart executive who's out in the market having conversations, you put yourself in the line of sight as they go to the market. You, get, you jump to the front of the line to get to talk to. Absolutely. I mean, this is, it's such fertile ground. And I just want to raise my hand and say, you did an awesome job of overviewing the hidden job market. And there's more, right? There's lots and lots and lots of ways to skin and, and, and go about the hidden job market. And guess what? I'm not an advocate for bias, but if you decide not, but, and if you go out there and build a relationship and then you get hired as a result of that, that's not bias, that's initiative. So it's, it, you know, it, it, it really is about building the relationships and having the ability to use your communication skills to understand and persuade in terms of how you can be especially valuable and beneficial to that organization. hundred percent. I have a great um, story around that too. If you, if you'd like please. me to share, I'm working with someone right now who came into my pipeline and we're, we've been working together since March, very senior global leader. He comes into my pipeline. We start working on what I normally do, but he comes with an opportunity because he gets tapped on the shoulder by a competing company where people already knew him in his past life, gets tapped on the shoulder. So we immediately start doing interview prep as well. Guess what happens? Four long interviewing months later, 
they promote from within because they feel as though they're going to lose this person if they don't do it, right? So my person is maybe the preferred candidate, um, the number one external candidate. It's super disappointing. They scramble and try to find him a different job, offer him something that's not at his level, lower pay. He doesn't take it. He says, thank you, but no. Guess what? That person didn't work out. And my person got a line on it immediately within a, within a day, contacted yeah. the leader and said, how can I help? I heard you're in a tough spot. How can I help? This person is now waiting for an offer. They're not going to go to market. They already took him through four months right. of interview. And so that actually is a great springboard into 2024 because we're going to hear a million predictions and we're not going to go through them all right here. <laughs> but what I do, what I do want to focus in on is some of the strategies that are, we, we, we've heard a million, a million conversations around networking and the need to network. We talk about thought leadership. We talk about content creation. We talk about all of these things. But if I am an executive right now, what would you tell me is, is the, is the approach that I need to lean into this in this coming year, six months that is going to help. This is a, this is an important part that is going to be effective and also is going to allow me to maintain some level of, of dignity and self-respect. Because one of the things that I find so much so is that you have to make that trade-off. And so I'm asking you, like, help us. How can we strike the balance between going about this process, which we expect is going to be difficult, and do it in a way that also preserves our level of confidence and, and respect. Absolutely. It's what, what you're making me think of is, is how do we keep our integrity? How do we stay in alignment with who we are, our authentic selves, you know, and, and keep that congruency going? My first go-to is really to get anchored and centered in what it is that you uniquely offer so that you can maintain the confidence that that is what you know how to do best. Where I find people losing confidence is wavering on that unique value proposition and arriving in their networking conversations with, I've been there and done that. I can do it all. I have seen it all. I've, you know, et cetera. And, and what I have learned is you must lead with your sharp tool and not your Swiss army knife. You must lead with mm. yours is the corkscrew. You've got to, if your decision makers need a corkscrew, you need to lead with that and then pleasantly surprise them with all of the amazing things that you've got in your back pocket with your fingernail file and your jackknife and the scissors, right? But I think what helps us maintain integrity and, and, and the confidence to go through this process is to first get anchored in our, in our stories and knowing the problems we know how to solve. 
because that is the foundation for moving through this terribly long process with grace. This is the end of part one on career transitions with Gina Riley, but make sure you are set to join us for part two, because we are taking a deep dive into the quagmire of return to office slash remote and where you can also leverage opportunities on either end, along with upskilling and continuous learning. And of course, one of my favorites, storytelling. So we'll see you next week for part two. Oh, plus we're going to give you some key resources for your career transitions. So if you like this episode, please go ahead and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. We would love that. And I'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools, not tomorrow, right now, and share them by spreading the love. Leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you.